This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Again, this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And this is part two uh, of this message, and we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday morning. Uh, This parable has been called the peril of the parables. And I like what Charles Dickens called it. He said it was the greatest short story ever told. And so I borrowed that from him to entitle these messages the greatest short story ever told. Now, being 2,000 years removed from the actual uh, saying of this parable and not seeing it through Middle Eastern eyes, not hearing it through Middle Eastern ears, uh, that can cause us to miss out on the full impact. It certainly wasn't lost on the immediate hearers. It was designed to shock them to the absolute core of their being. And it did exactly that. It was a shocking parable. Remember that the crowd that Jesus spoke to that day was mixed. On the one side, there were the tax collectors and the sinners. On the other side, of course, there were the scribes and the Pharisees. And these two were polar opposites. And as far as these so-called guardians of the Jewish faith were concerned, the tax collectors were the worst of sinners, the absolute worst. They were collaborators with the, with the Roman authorities, with these pagan oppressors. And they had joined themselves to them to collect taxes from their own people and line their own pockets. Now, can you imagine the parents, the nice Jewish parents of these tax collectors, they must have been humiliated and embarrassed to death because of their sons and what they were doing. So you can see the story of the parable son has, has got a, a parallel with these tax collectors because the prodigal son had joined himself to a citizen of the far country. And they too, like the prodigal in the story, as far as these scribes and Pharisees were concerned, were absolutely irredeemable. Uh, They were going to hell, (laughs) undeservedly so, as far as they were concerned. And having listened intently to Jesus speaking of the terrible behavior of the prodigal towards his father, his disrespect, his dishonor, his appalling treatment that he gave his father and to the depths that he stooped to in the far country. Uh, Then you can see why these, particularly these scribes and Pharisees, absolutely despised this prodigal in the story as they despised these tax collectors and sinners. And of course, they would rejoice that this prodigal had come to a, a, a horrifying end you know, he was, he was starving to death, literally. He was financially broke. And not only that, he was wallowing in the pigsty of his own making. And so these scribes and Pharisees then would be happy that he got what he thoroughly deserved, that he was reaping what he had sown. 
and he was getting them back in spades. And so they would rejoice at that. And so whenever they thought that this parable had come to a timely and justifiable end, then Jesus gave it a twist. One that they hadn't seen coming at all. One that none of them seen coming. That would shock all of them, including the tax collectors and sinners. In verse 17 it says, And when he came to himself, it took the prodigal some time to hit rock bottom. Whenever he left the father's house, his pockets were full. He had dreams to fulfill. <laughs> he had people to meet. He had places to go. It was spend, spend, spend. It was party, party, party. It was bar after bar after bar. But of course, while he had funds, he had plenty of friends. And while he had money, he had plenty of mates. But as the old saying is, a fool and his money are soon parted. And whenever his money ran out, his mates ran off. And whenever he had no funds, then he had no friends. In fact, the Bible says that even when he was perishing with hunger, no man gave unto him. Not one of those so-called friends that he had been spending his money on actually wanted anything to do with him. And so one day when he was sitting actually envying the very food that the pigs were eating. That was rock bottom for him. And so he came to himself. At last that spiritual madness that had overtaken him began to lift. That worldly blindness that had covered his eyes began to clear. And at last the prodigal was ready to come home. Can I say a word to those parents who perhaps has a prodigal in your family? And uh, you have blamed yourself. You've made a rod, a rod for your own back. And you thought, this is my doing. If only I had been a better Christian parent. If only I had been wiser and smarter. If only I had done more or done less in some instance. But you have to remember that the father in this story was as close to perfection as you could get. He loved his family. He cherished these boys. He was gracious. He was generous. He was loving. He was compassionate. He was understanding. He was everything a good father should be. And yet, in spite of all of that, the prodigal treated him abominably and left the house and went to the far country. Now, that's not to say as Christian parents that we perhaps couldn't have done better. Perhaps we did make our mistakes. Perhaps we didn't handle things maybe as well as we ought to have done but we did our best. We're not perfect, and we did our best. But even having done our best, they still turned out a prodigal, in spite of our best efforts. So say that just to encourage you, because I know there are prodigals, and there's prodigals among us in here. And before we criticize the prodigal too much, 
We need to remember what Isaiah said, that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So all of us are guilty to some degree or other. And so he comes to himself. But coming to himself wasn't quite enough. He had to come to the Father. And after he came to himself and before he could come to the Father, he had to do something. He had to truly repent. He had to truly repent. And he did that. Before he could make a change of direction, he had to have a change of mind and a change of heart. And that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind, it's a change of heart that gives a change of direction. And so he had to get to that place of true, abject repentance from his heart. And he did that. So let's begin then where we left off uh, last Sunday morning. We said in verse 17, and when he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Now, this is the first time in a long time that he's actually thought about the father at all. And we know what he was thinking about the father before he left the father's house. Because there was no respect, there was no honor. There wasn't even any sense of decency in what he did. And so any thoughts he had about the father for a long time before he left the house were negative, were awful. He could not wait to get away from the father. And as we said last week, when he demanded what he felt was coming to him, when he demanded that, it revealed his heart towards his father. It was despicable. It shocked all those who were listening. And so we know that his thoughts towards his father were unkind, they were ungenerous, they were dishonorable, they were despicable. We know that he went into the far country, and for such a long time, he did not give one thought about his old father and the mess he had left behind and the dishonor that he had heaped upon his father and his name. But at last, he's now thinking again of his father. And his mind goes back to Bowen before he thought so bad of his father. And he remembered how generous and kind and loving his father had been. Not only to him and to his family, not only to his servants of his household, but even hired servants, even these casual workers who would come from time to time and work on the farm. Even they, he was more than generous to them. They had not only just enough to eat, they had enough to spare after they had eaten. And so he's remembering now what his father was truly like. You know, oftentimes the prodigals forget how good God is and how good God was to them and how he loved them 
and treated them so well. But when they're in the far country, they don't want to remember that. They don't want to think about that. So he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. Now, it took, <laughs> it took a large slice of humble pie to get him to get up of his feet and to head towards the father's house. Because as far as he was concerned, the customs of the day, uh, what would happen within that village and to him, among his family, his former friends, among the villagers, it took a bit of courage, actually, to get up and say, I'm going back to my father. And sometimes for the prodigals, it takes a while and it takes a little bit of courage to go back to the father's house. What will people think? How will they treat me? Will they be glad to see me? Will they treat me with scorn? So all these thoughts must have been going through his mind. And yet, and yet, he thought about the father now in a positive way. He knew there was one there who did love him, actually. So he said, I will arise, and I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I said a few moments ago that the thing that he had to do was truly, genuinely repent. And what he's saying here reveals that that's exactly what he did. How do we know that? How do we know he just because he was starving to death and he was in a tight spot and his money had run out, he had nowhere else to go, that this was his best bet no matter how bad it was going to be for him? that he would just go back, humble himself, take whatever he could get, couldn't be any worse than this. No, no. He said, I will say to my father, I have sinned. It's my fault. No one else is to blame. Only me. I have sinned. You know, many times a prodigal will try to justify their actions and say, well, you know, if my parents had been like this or if so-and-so hadn't treated me so like that and, you know, if people weren't like this or like that and, and so they're, they're deflecting the blame. And many people today will not admit, I have sinned. How many times have you heard a politician or some famous person, a celebrity or a sports star or something, who they mess up, they get into trouble, they get somebody pregnant, they shouldn't have got pregnant, they stole some money they shouldn't have stolen, they did some things, they lied, they cheated, and at the end of it, when they have to own up to say, it was an error of judgment, I'll say, it was an error of judgment. No, it was a big, fat sin. That's what it really was. But how many says that? But this son said that, I have sinned. 
It's my fault. Nobody else's. Not the fathers, not my brothers, not the household, not the villagers. Me, I have sinned. So that's how we know there is a genuine and true repentance. I have sinned against heaven and before you. You see, his sin, he recognized, was not just a breakdown in relationship between him and his father, but there's a breakdown relationship between him and God. And all sin, no matter what it is, little or big, is against heaven first. Because God's a holy God and a righteous God. And every time we sin, we have broken his law. It's against him. Whenever the prophet Nathan came to David and told him that little parable of the ewe lamb and finally said to David regarding his sin with Bathsheba, thou art the man. David had to own that. And he did own it at last after a year of hiding his sin. He owned it and said, I've sinned against heaven. (coughs) And he did. As well as Bathsheba and Bathsheba's husband. He'd sinned against heaven first and foremost. I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that was true. In fact, any other father would have completely cut him off. After what he had done, his father would have said, you're no longer my son. I disown you from my family. The reality is what he did to his father was a stoning offense. That's how bad it was. He completely broke the fifth commandment about honoring your father and your mother. So any other father would have totally disowned him. In fact, the custom would have been that they had a, a mock funeral that literally would have treated him as dead, gone, no longer part of the family. So that's what he felt. He knew that. He knew that's what they would think. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and that was true. Make me like one of your hard servants. Not even one of your retainers in your household. Not even one of your your servants that live in. But just one of the casual workers. Just one of the hard servants. One that you just take on, you know, harvest time and uh, at least that way I'll get a little wage and I'll be able to eat some food because uh, I'm starving to death here. At, at least, you know, if he's going to show any mercy, that, that's, that's the best I can hope for. If he's going to be merciful at all, if there's any mercy in my dad towards me, that's the best I can hope for. He didn't really know the father's heart at all. Sure he didn't. None of them really knew the father's heart. Neither the tax collectors, nor the sinners, nor the scribes, or the Pharisees, neither the elder brother, and we'll talk about him tonight, or even the prodigal. Now those tax collectors and sinners, they would be standing there thinking, how is this going to end? Boy, this is a brave thing he's doing. He's gone back to the Father. He's admitting that he's a sinner. 
He's asking for just to be a casual laborer. How's the father going to treat him? And those scribes and Pharisees who were the polar opposites, they would be thinking, what a cheek, what a nerve. How dare he even go back to the father? This is not repentance, this is a joke. We know why he's going back, because he's starving. See how they would be thinking? And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Now, we don't know how long that journey took. We don't know how far the far country was. But we can at least surmise that the journey back would not have been easy because he was literally starving to death. He'd be skinny and scrawny. He'd be bedraggled. His clothes would be in rags. He had no shoes on his feet. He'd be tired and weary. He'd be an emotional wreck. And so that journey would be long and tiresome. And the closer he would get, I'd reckon the more uptight he would become. What's going to happen? What's ahead of me? What am I walking into here? But the father saw him afar off. It tells us the father was looking for him. It wasn't by accident he saw him. He was looking for him. I reckon that every morning as the sun was rising, the father would probably go out to some little high part of the land. He would stand and he would look at the horizon. He would look down that long, winding, dusty road. And he would look for his son appearing. And when he didn't appear, he'd go back again. And then at night, before the sun would finally set, he would have a last look before he retired to his bed. And he would look again to see if his son was coming. How long did he do that? I don't know. But one day, one day, his prayer was answered. One day, his wish was fulfilled. One day he looked down that dusty road and he saw that figure coming and he instantly recognized, that's my boy, that's my son. He's coming home at last. What a moment that must have been for the old man. His heart must have been pounding. What a joy must have rose up in his spirit when he saw his son coming home again. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. No vengeance, no anger, not disgusted, not thinking, how dare he? (laughs) Just compassion, just love and mercy. And he ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. Noble men, rich men, landowners did not run. It was unseemly. It would be inappropriate. 
he would have plenty of slaves to do his running. But he couldn't stop himself. He couldn't help himself. As soon as he saw his son, he lifted up his robe and he ran as hard as he could to get to his son. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the tense is, it means he kissed him over and over and over and over and over again. He just smothered him in kisses. And even though he was stinking and dirty and filthy, he didn't care. His boy had come home. That's all he cared about. But you know, he ran for another reason. Because he knew how his household would treat his son. He knew how the villagers would treat him. He knew that if the son had got to the village before he got to him, they would have, they would have scorned him, they would have spat on him, they might have been smiting him, they might have even stoned him. But the father wanted to go to protect him, to protect him from all that scorn and all that shame that they heaped upon him. He wanted to get to him first. And if the father got to him first, he would save him from all of that. And that's really why he ran also, <clears throat> to save his son, to protect him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he didn't get any further than that. He couldn't finish his sentence. Father wouldn't let him. <laughs> couldn't get to say, make me as one of your hard servants. He'd rehearsed it for days. Wanted to say it. Would mean every word of it. Was the best he could have hoped for. But the father didn't let him get that far. God is so generous and so compassionate and so merciful and so forgiving beyond, beyond what we can think. Hallelujah. What grace, what mercy in this story. Jesus was the master storyteller. He could really touch the heartstrings. Can you imagine the tax collectors and sinners standing there hearing this? Unbelievable. There's hope for them. If, if the father could forgive this boy after what he had done, surely because they had disgraced their parents and their father and their family name, surely there's hope for them. And there was. Jesus hung around the tax collectors and sinners to give them that hope. He didn't agree with their lifestyles. He didn't agree with anything they did. But he wanted to save them. The Pharisees hated the sinners. They didn't want to save anybody. What a contrast. What mercy God has got. 
for sinners. But you and like me, where would we be today if it wasn't for the grace of God? Some of us would be in a Christless eternity. That's where we'd be. But God in his mercy came to his. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet. The best robe. Not just any old robe. The best robe. The one that has been kept for special occasions. The best robe. Even though he's stinking. Put the best robe on him. Let him know that I love him. Let him know that I'm so glad he's back. Put the best robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. Get, get the family ring with the crest, the one that seals the documents. No period of probation. No, well, let's wait six months or a year and see how this pans out. See how genuine he is. Maybe when his belly's filled and, you know, he's got a night's sleep, maybe, maybe he'll think the way he used to think. No, none of that. Get the best robe out. Put the ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Only those who were, belonged to the household, the family, could wear shoes in the house. Servants had to always go barefoot. So by doing this, his son knows that he is instantly and completely and totally forgiven at that moment, right there on that road when he's not even washed or shaved and he's stinking for the pig pen. But he knows in his heart, Father has forgiven me. I actually really am one of his sons. He hasn't disowned me. He's taken me back home. What a wonderful story of grace and mercy. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Now calves doesn't stay calves forever. This tells us two things, that this man really was a wealthy man, that he could afford to take one of his calves and deliberately, consciously fatten it for one day when they'd have a celebration. What that calf was being fatted for, we don't know. It might have been for a special birthday. It might have been for the old man's retirement. It might have been from the elder's brother if he was going to get married. Who knows? We don't know. But whatever it was for, the father says, kill it. This is a special occasion. It doesn't get any better than this. As far as I'm concerned, the father said, this is it. This is it. Kill this fatted calf and invite everybody. We're going to have a great party, a great celebration. You know, when you read those three parables, because it's, you know, there's a trilogy of parables here. 
whenever the, the shepherd went and found the lost sheep and he came back with it over his shoulder and he says to his neighbors, come on, rejoice with me, I found the lost sheep. Let's have a party. Time to celebrate. Well, the woman slept, swept her whole house to find that lost coin. What did she say? All her neighbors, come on, rejoice with me, I found that which was lost. Come on, let's have a party. And the father's doing exactly the same. Let's celebrate the good news. You know, when I was reading this, and I know that we know this, but sometimes when you're reading it, it comes fresh again. The fact that every single one of us, when we prayed that prayer and invited Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, there was a celebration in heaven. There was a party in glory. No wonder heaven is a place of continual rejoicing. No wonder. Now, I can't say the Bible doesn't tell us. We'll know someday. But I just wonder. I just wonder. If loved ones that has gone before who were saved and have gone to heaven, whenever they hear that their son or their daughter or their, or, their, or their aunt or their uncle or their cousin or whatever, whenever they hear they're saved, I wonder, do they have a special party? I don't know. All I know is their celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just who needs no repentance. Jesus said there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It causes heaven to rejoice. All the more reason why we should get people saved <laughs> to keep that party in heaven going. <laughs> Glory to God. So he says, let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. What a scene. What a moment for those tax collectors and sinners. I'm sure they were standing with a big grin on their face, with a big smile. How could they not? Because they could see themselves as the prodigal. And the, the scribes and Pharisees saw them as the prodigal. But they weren't smiling. They were disgusted. How could this father do this? Has he no honor? Has he no shame? Does he not care about the family name? How could he let him off so leniently? How could he do this? That's what they're thinking. It shows you how far apart. They did not even begin to understand the grace of God. Why? Because they didn't think they needed grace. They were perfect. They weren't sinners like anybody else. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, they were perfect. That's why Jesus told the, the parable in Luke 18. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Yeah, until he wasn't praying to God, he was praying to himself. The truth of it is. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. See, many eyes are there. I, 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 I. And the tax collector, standing afar off, 
would not even as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What a difference. What a difference. But we can't leave it there. We can't leave it there. Because we have to tell the story of the elder brother. And it's a story that's not often told. But actually, it's the whole point of the parable. It's the reason why Jesus told it. And so tonight, and I hope that you come, and I hope that you don't miss it. Because there's a danger. There's a little bit of the elder brother in all of us. There's the danger. So we need to know how the elder brother acted and thought and what he was like. Because that's the whole point of Jesus telling the parable. He was pointing it at the scribes and Pharisees. They didn't know that starting out in this story. But they're about to find out. And so God willing tonight, we'll do the third part of this story. And we'll look at the elder brother. And we'll see his heart. And we'll say, Lord, I don't want to ever be like the elder brother. I may even have been like the prodigal. And I would certainly love to be like the father. But I don't want to be like the elder brother. So God willing, we'll do that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that they teach us and show us what we really should be in Christ and how we should live and how we should act. And often we fall far short of that. Forgive us those times. And teach us, Lord, to be more Christ-like in what we do or what we say. And when we fail you, as we often do, then, Lord, we repent and say, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Help me to be like Christ. And so we give you the glory. And we thank you for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.